flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Oreb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this, the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a land large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the, oppression, wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain." We're going to be in this passage right here, verses 1 to 12, and I, I think it'll help one of us today if you pay attention. <clears throat> called to the next stage. That's what uh, Moses is here, called to the next stage of life. Um, I've mentioned to you before in my life, uh, I had the privilege of working as a camp counselor for West Branch Camp when it was in Flagstaff. It's like 30 years ago now, this summer. And it was really fun. It was two months long. Iden's going to be a counselor this summer, or actually a ranch hand. And some of the other kids in this church have worked there. Um, but one of the things that I got to do as a summer camp counselor in Flagstaff was things that I liked and I was accustomed to. Um, I liked to sing. I was in a tour group singing for college, so I sang there uh, with the counselors. We'd sing some men's quartets. Uh, during the weeks of camp. So we got to do that. I got to teach some juniors. I, I was good at that. I, I mean, I don't know if I was good at it, but I did it in church. That's what I did here. So I'm like, all right, I'm teen, I sing. I'll teach junior, juniors at, teen, at uh, junior camp. Sure, I, I did that at home at this church, doing junior church. 
And then uh, refereeing sports. By the way, next time you start foaming at the mouth, spitting, yelling at a referee, uh, think about how hard it might be to do it. Has anybody ever refereed? All right, two of us. Okay. It's not easy. It's hard. And I got I to gotta do that. And, and the same thing, I had people complaining to me. And that was only like three. No, that was a five-on-five five full court. It was kind of hard refing. So. But, I, but I did those things. And, and it was things I was accustomed to. I think I refed football, too. And it was things I was accustomed to. But one thing I didn't really like to do was being a skit, an act. You know, I just didn't like acting. You know, I just like, let me be me. <laughs> and so, but I had to. They literally said, nope, you're going to be in this skit. So we had to do a skit during one of the services. And I was in one of the skits. And then we were in this more of a, a little longer drama we would do every Friday afternoon. With It was all the guy counselors. And we'd have to dress up kind of in the western garb you know our jeans and certain shirt and we'd have to wear a cowboy hat and and uh and then we had a gun i'll tell you what the gun was in a minute but uh we had to go down there and there was a kind of a little drama we would do down at this area it was an outside a uh, little amphitheater area called little west branch they had kind of a a a kind of a storefront stage with a jail and a restaurant and something else kind of this little stage it had this mock you know, type of uh, look of some Western scene in a town. And then there was people that would sit down out there and they would just do different devotionals and different things like that. It was for different uses. But on Friday afternoon, they wanted to promote the, um, it would be the rodeo. And so in order to promote the rodeo, they'd call everybody, come down there, come down there to the little West Branch. And, and what would happen was it was me and like maybe four other guys. We were... You know, we were law enforcement for this pretend scenario. And there was this villain called Black Bart. Black Bart. And he's a guy named John Lockhart was the counselor's name. And uh, he was Black Bart. And he, would, and he had, uh, maybe he even had some mustache. Of course, we, we didn't have facial hair, but he, I think he may have had a mustache and his hat and wearing all black. And, and, uh, and he had his gun, but not like a gun, you think. Uh, and, and, and we had ours. And... And there was some kind of, I wasn't the main character, but there was some kind of discussion between some of the guys and something about Black Bart. And, and all of a sudden, some of the people would be like, wait, he's behind us. He's, well, it'd be like this. Somebody said, oh, he's behind us. And he'd be hiding, and he's coming through the crowd. And, and it basically was a shootout, okay? And so Black Bart comes in, and, and here's what our guns were. They were staple guns, uh, all right? And, and we're pretending, right, okay? And they're em empty, you know? Uh, nobody got hurt on this, uh, and they were empty. But he'd Blackbird, and he'd see one of the guys, you know, in the drama. Boom! He'd go K -k 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 like that, and so one of the guys would be on the stage, and Blackbird's coming from where the crowd is, and he go, "Oh, he got me like that! He pinned me, and boom! And he hit me like this, so now he's stapled against the wall." And then another guy would come running out. Oh no, there's Blackbird! Boom, boom, boom! And Blackbird would go like this, and then he'd go, boom, boom! And this guy would go, and he'd be stuck against the, the wall, you know, pretend. And I think I was one of the last guys. I was at the back of the stage over the top, and I jumped over the top, and I was supposed to land and try to shoot Blackbart. And I take my shots, of course, it doesn't hit Blackbart, and I get nailed. And then I don't know, somebody else may have tracked him down. I honestly don't remember what the, how the drama ended. 
maybe somebody arrested him and stuff like that. But, but I just remember I had to play like I'm being, you know, stapled and Black Bart <coughs> nailed me, you know, with staples against the wall. And so we're all sitting there and and uh, again, I, I apologize, maybe somebody else can remember this the way it ended, but I think maybe somebody caught him or he went on the run and it kind of kept you on edge. We might, you need to come to the rodeo because maybe we'll see Black Bart there and we can capture him. I think it maybe ended like that. But I, I was kind of like doing that. I was like, you now you look at it, you're like, that sounds fun. You get to jump over something. And, but I didn't really like that. And then I had to do it. Like, this is what you need to do. You're working here at this camp. You told you're going to come. You said you're going to come work for us. So we're going to have you do this. We're going to have you do this. And even if you haven't done this before, we're calling you to do this. I was literally called to a new stage. Yeah. That isn't the stage I like. I like the junior church stage. I like the singing stage, the uh, referee stage. I didn't like this stage, but I all right. I did it, and I did okay. Moses is called to a new stage of life. We're going to see that. There's three stages of his life. What's the first stage? Talk to me. Ages one to 40 in Egypt. In Egypt, they're all in four. It's easy, 40s. In, in 40s, 40s, three stages. Get your fingers right. All right. Uh, ages one to 40, he's in Egypt. The next stage he's in, he's in the desert. From age 40 to 80, he's in the desert with taking care of sheep with the, with the for the in-law. And then from 80 to 120, he's in his third stage of a deliverer, delivering the children of Israel. So he's used to do being uh, groomed in Egypt. Then he had this crisis in Egypt where he was... You know, he lived a very plush life, but he attempted to deliver this people that were his people, uh, the, the Hebrews, and he was rejected. And so he runs and he has to flee for his life. And, and he, now he's in the wilderness and he's in the desert. And we preached a couple weeks ago the value of that still. There's wealth that can be found in the desert. And he found that though he was isolated, there was wealth in that. And a few basic and his work in waiting, and in worship. And now he's going to be called to this third stage of life, which is God shows up and says, all right, now I'm ready for you to, to, come, to come back into Egypt, back to those people that you had tried to help before. And I heard their cry. They've been crying. And I'm going to use you to deliver them out of Egypt. And Moses actually has a hard time accepting that. There's a pretty long conversation. But what I want to focus on is that thought of their stages of life. It, I mean, it's seen in his, Moses' life. Everybody, and now listen to me, every, you kids, teens, I know this, you're, you're mad because you didn't have junior church. But listen up. Everybody has at least a few stages of life. How many of you kids are want to get to the driving stage? Raise your hand. You want to drive? Grant wants to drive. He wants to drive the riding no more. All right. Well, yeah. Everybody, yeah. All right. You want to get to the driving stage. Anybody want to get to the marriage stage? All right. All right. The kids stage. Have kids. Eh. No. Retirement stage. 
Now, retirement stage. Okay, there's different stages of life, right? There is. Everybody has a few. Even though I'm not boring. I'm just in a boring life. Everybody's going to have something. Everybody has a little bit of something that God designs. Says, All right, now we're going to have you over here. Let me describe some of them. Periods of life where there's a transition from having one responsibility to now you've got a different responsibility. Or where, you're, where you get, where you transition, you, you have a new stage of life where it involves a new relationship or a new job. Or the stage of life, as we said, where you're youth and you go from youth to college or you go from college to being graduate and being a young professional or from that to being a married and going from married to the stage of married with kids and go from married with kids to married with trying to get them out of the house, you know, and then you go from that to perhaps a grandparent. And you go to different stages in life, and then you go from that working person crying and complaining for the last five years of you working for that job to can't wait to retire. Then you finally retire and get bored. You know, I'm just saying, there's different stages. You may have a stage where you have little asset and a lot of work to having, oh, you got a little more, you got a little more by way of assets, and and you feel like you got it managed better. Um. Sometimes you go from maybe doing one thing in a ministry-wise to another. There's always different stages of life. And I'm just saying, as we look at Moses, he, he has it. I mean, he's Egypt. He's wilderness desert with the in-laws taking care of sheep. And now it's going to be another change. And that's how life is. There's stages. And you can't always, you can try to orchestrate your own stage. I, that's, I suppose, God's given us a free will. Or we could just surrender to God and listen to God and walk with God and let Him bring us to the next stage of life. And that's why we're looking at this. Um, In order to have a good life stage transition, we do well to see how God accomplished it in the life of Moses. Again, it's not like this stuff is just in here randomly for nothing. This is teaching us all kinds of things. There's so much. I've been looking at it. I'm like, oh, you could preach that. You could preach that longer. There's so much here in this passage. So we're going to look at five facets here of how God called Moses to the next stage of life. He was Egypt. Then he's desert. Now he's saying, I'm meeting with you now. We're going to come do something new. We're bringing you over into this different change of life. All right, number one, we're going to see he's called. How God called him, number one, he called him in the middle of his work. Everybody listen to this. He called Moses while he was working a job. What does it say? Chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Oreb. He's several hundred miles away from father-in-law's house. But he's in an area that, ironically, he'll be back to the Mount Sinai area. And he's working. You know what's interesting? Sometimes this is, we think that the thing is, who, I do this as a pastor. Who, who should I have help? Oh, they're busy, they're busy, they're busy, they're busy, they're busy. Looking for somebody who's not busy. But God does the other way around. God went to Samuel when Samuel was busy working in the temple. And says, hey, I got something for you to do. God went to David when David was taking care of sheep and fighting off a lion and fighting off a bear. God came to David when he was busy working. God comes to Moses when he's busy working. So he got a job. God came to Amos. The Bible says Amos, I'm paraphrasing, he basically says, 
You know, the Lord called me as I was leading the flock. I was already busy in a job, and God said, eh, I'm going to let you do this now. Jesus came walking along the, the seashore of Galilee and said to Peter and James, hey, you guys, come here. Or Peter and Andrew, the brothers, you guys had called while they were working. James and John, you two, you guys, come here. I mean, he pulled, it was kind of rude. He pulled them away from working for Dad. That's what it seems on the surface. We know it was all divine. He called these guys while they're working. They left their nets. Even Matthew, the, the left winger, working at a, sitting down at a tax receipt, collecting taxes. Most of his uh, national citizens didn't like him doing that. Called him while he was sitting there. People, maybe some of them were happy. All right, finally, he's leaving tax collecting. And he called Matthew while Matthew was working. Matthew left that and followed Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul doing something evil, Saul, going at, I'm going to go get some more Christians. And God called him while he was working. God, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, really. God seems to call people who are diligent. I just don't know if God's going to have me do anything in life. Just start doing something. We used to say, my dad and I, we'd have to push. I know it's kind of a, I don't know, I don't know if it's a good example, but when we had cars at our shop, most of the time they didn't have engines in them. Because they were full restorations. We didn't have to push them in the, the garage, push them out, which was easier. Push it over. We were pushing a lot of cars that had no engines or it may have had an engine didn't work. And it was always hard to steer the, the car when it was sitting still. But even if you pushed it just a little bit, this is true. Even if you push it just a little bit, oh, it's easy to steer it. And I, God just seems to steer people that are moving. So what is Moses? All right, Moses, you're going to go from desert to back to Egypt. I got a new job for you. And I know you're busy. That's why I'm telling you, you're busy actually doing something that's really got you prepared for the next thing. He's taking care of sheep. I'm going to have you take care of sheep. I know the sheep aren't yours, and these sheep aren't going to be yours either. Yeah, I know you're in the desert. Well, when you go take care of these, you're going to come right back to that desert too. See, God's got this all sorted out. He calls them in the middle of his work. Number two, he's called in the middle of his life, mid to late life. Moses is called in his middle to late life. This is two-thirds, man. This isn't four quarters. This is three quarters of life of the ball game. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, ball game's over. He's past the second quarter, second third, I should say, not quarter. Second third of his life. Two-thirds of his life is behind him. Two-thirds of his life is behind him. I mean, if I were to proportion it, he lived 120, most of us live 80-something. Uh, it'd be like 50. He's like around 50 years old. I'm like 48. This would be like him being us, for us, being around 50. God says, hey, got a new job for you. Yeah, but I'm 50. Yeah. Uh, it's all right. Got a new job for you. That would be like him being about 50. He's actually 80, but to proportion, to make it proportionate what he lived to what we commonly lived, it'd be like that. He's called in the middle to late life. Two-thirds is done. And uh, though he was, th think about this too. Remember, this is about rejection. Sometimes people get face rejection in life, like whether it's maybe a parent, parent, something severe, something mild from a job or from a friend or something when you were young or in your 20s. Rejection of all sorts. And sometimes what happens when you reject, you just like forget ever thinking about trying 
sport again, trying that job again, trying that church again. And he just totally put it behind and said, forget it, I'm done. Moses was rejected years before. And God gives him time to have a family and learn sheep raising and leading. And then God calls him out and says, I haven't rejected you. We're going to go back to that. Isn't that cool? Men reject us, God doesn't. He's called in the mid to late life. Um, that tells us something. <laughs> mid to late life. Here's what that tells us. This tells me I shouldn't get too settled in on something. Right? Yeah, I'm starting to like that. You know, I'm not too bad. I'm 48. What is that going to be? 15 years, I can retire, you know, maybe. Yeah. And then God says, you know what? I got something for you to do the next 20, 30 years. He could say that. It just shows us all to wait. Be ready for God. Be ready for God's leading for job to another job, ministry to another ministry. I hope everybody stays here, honestly, but you know what I mean. Um, house to another house or another relationship that you weren't ready for. I don't know. But he, he, you want to see his fingerprints and his hand on all that stuff. Definitely. One of our, I've told this, I'll say this again, but one of, we support the Wells as missionaries. So they had uh, Chad Wells, who we support in New Guinea. Uh, Brad Wells was in New Guinea, now started a church in Washington, D.C. And then Wes, who was in our church, also was a helicopter pilot in Hawaii. He actually started a church in Hawaii as a part-time thing. He was in he was in New Guinea also. Those three guys, those three boys who are all my age or basically older, their dad later in, I think his 40s, their dad, Dennis, felt God calling him to be a missionary to New Guinea in his mid to late 40s. And he did it. And he had a pretty good job as, a, I think, an architectural engineer or something. I don't know what it was. And he went to New Guinea and brought those boys with him. Brad, I think, was a teenager at the time, and the other ones were younger, and did the work. And then it was only maybe five years ago he had to come off the field. It's just that you never know what God's going to say. You never know. Called in mid to late life. That's how, that's how, you see that? This is God doing this stuff. Number three, he's called mainly through God's word. Well, how do I know God's calling me? mainly through God's Word, right? Wait a minute. No, he did a burning bush. I've never seen a burning bush. Well, let's look at this. Chapter 3, verses 2 to 8, the Lord, the angel of the Lord. This is God's way of showing himself in a physical manifestation. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Wow. Let me stop right there. What's happening? Moses is going about his business in the desert. There's a bush, there's a bush, there's a bush, there's a bush. Sometimes bushes would catch on fire. We mentioned this a few weeks back. But he sees this bush burning. No. And it's not smoke. It's not getting black and shriveling down. There's a, it, the bush is still there and the flame is still there. Wow. Then you didn't hear the crackle of it being consumed. And then Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt, consumed. Why would a, if a, if a bush is burning, 
it's going to be consumed. If it's burning, it's not consumed. That means what? You're seeing things? Yeah. Or God's in it. Right? God does things remarkable. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. The burning bush, God spoke to Moses. You say it's through the burning bush. Yes, but the reason why the bush was burning and it was such a unique, miraculous thing is so that it could validate that the voice was really God. The issue was really the voice. So the bush was burning, but that's just to demonstrate that the voice is God's. It's not just anybody else. And God is always, always uses His Word. God always uses His Word. And we ought to daily approach God as Moses does in a holy, attentive, respectful way. Do you see what he did? He's like, whoa, that's something else over there. Whoa, let me go check that out. And he goes and God says, wait, don't just come anywhere you want. This is a different place over here. Take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. And he approaches God in a unlike approaching anything else. See, we approach, I think I'm just going to approach God how I want. Well, God's holy. And God got his attention and, and he, he surrendered to that. God's, that is something interesting. I'm going to go see that. That is something captivating. I'm going to go see that. When's the last time you opened your Bible and read something and thought, no, wait a minute, that's something I think. I'm going to read that later on this afternoon. When's the last time you, read, you heard something, a message and say, I'm going to hear the rest of that. When's the last time you did that? That's a burning bush right there. God's showing something unique there. God caught Moses saying, I want to go check this out. That's how we ought to approach God. God's got something to say that, in fact, maybe even right now, this is a burning bush to me. But God always uses His Word, and we should approach it in a holy, respectful way. God uses, so back to the point, so when Moses is going from one stage to another, the thing that's guiding him is God's Word, God's voice. And a lot of times with me, if I, I don't want to, I don't know if you'd find it boring or not, but when I think of major things in my life from youth to coming to this church, from Mary and Deb to, well, even before that, going to college, stages of my life from that to becoming the pastor I can tell you there's a passage of scripture usually that was key in, in, in leading me to the next spot I'm looking at them right now there was usually a passage of scripture that helped me go from this spot to this spot I'm like ah, yeah thank you for this Philippians 2 passage or going from this spot to the pastor part spot thank you for that Joshua 1 passage and that kind of, there's always a part that helped bridge me to the next stage that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. If you want to know what God wants you to do, it all starts by getting in his word. Find your burning bush moment with God. I mean, otherwise, this is just, oh, that's nice old stuff that was long ago. I'll never see that. This is the burning bush that you can approach. And so... Called to the next stage of life. If you're going to another stage of life, make sure you've, you've done it because you've, or as you do it, that you've, it's because you've had 
connection with God. His Holy Spirit teaches you and directs you and He gives you words that lead you into that. To from this job to that job or this car to that car, this purchase to that purchase or being single to being married or being in this church to be in another church, hopefully not, but being in this state to another state or whatever. Let there be a word clearly given of God that He clearly approached you with, not that you're looking for. Where's a spot that says I should move to Hawaii? No, don't go do that kind of stuff that He approaches you with. All right? And so this is what God did for Moses. Right there. So two more points. He called him in the middle of his work, in the middle of life, and mainly by his word. Number four, through mutual concern. They had a mutual concern. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 11. Remember what Moses did uh, 40 years earlier when he was an Egyptian? Chapter 2, verse 11, came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burden. So here's a guy literally kind of in a way coming out of his ivory tower of plush. I'm going to go look on my people though I was raised totally different than them. And he sees them. And it says, he looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. He's like, I can't believe there's this violence upon these people of mine. And he gets upset, rightfully so. Natural justice arises up in him. Verse 12, he looked this way and that way. He saw the Egyptian that there was no man. When he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So he's like, it's just, I'm going to execute justice right here. That bothers me. These people should be unfairly treated. They're not to. I'm not putting that down. It bothered them. And then the next day, he tries to intervene between them. It says, verse um, 13, when he went out the second day, behold, two of the men of the Hebrews strove together while he, and, then, and he said to the one that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Moses feared. What's happening? Moses had a, this is a genuine heart. I got a heart for this. Well, I, I don't want to let this happen. The, the, the Egyptians beating up the heat. This is not right. And then when the Hebrews are fighting, this isn't right. He's, this is good stuff. This is good motive. But they weren't ready for it. They pushed him away. He had to run away. But look what God says. When God says, all right, Moses, we're ready for this. Look what God says. Verse 7 of chapter 3. God says, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Okay, we saw what Moses saw and what Moses heard. Now God says, chapter 3, verse 7, I have seen the affliction, I know their cry by reason of the taskmasters. And then God repeats himself. But listen how he repeats himself in chapter 3, verse 9. He's talking to Moses. He says, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. He already said that. But he said another word in there. The previous verse, he says, I saw the oppression of the Egyptians. This time he says it again. He goes, I also saw that. Referring to the fact that he knew Moses saw that and it bothered him. Moses, you saw that? I saw that too. Let's go do something about it. Does God ever, sometimes God allows us to have a burdened, maybe not a fleeting one, but a sustained burden for some person, something some area, and he comes along and says, yeah, I see that too. He comes along and he says, I saw that too. Let's go take care of that. 
That's how God often deals with things. I felt like my heart for the Spanish, we have Spanish ministry, a privilege to have that. But I remember for years, I was like, man, I'd love to have a Spanish ministry. I'd love to go do a Spanish ministry. I'd love to go to be a missionary to Mexico. And I did this bunch of different things to perhaps see if that should happen. And then I had a burden for Spanish ministry in the States primarily. The only reason I'd go to Mexico is to get immersed in the culture just to come back to help reach people here. And I, it's like I couldn't do anything. I was like, all right, well, God's saying, God, it's almost like God's saying, hey, God, you got the heart for that, but yeah, you just stay here. God, you got the heart for that, but just stay here. And then, you know, in 2011, the Rebuses come and visit. Remember, sat at the back wall there. Our church was orientated this way, smaller. They sat right back there, friendly, just clicked right away. And I remember one thing about Miss Ruth. I saw her, and I thought, and her, their daughter, Marilyn, I thought, she came to our grad sale. <laughs> I know you because they didn't live but a mile and a half away, and I knew they came to our grad sale once or twice. So I thought, man, I knew I'd seen her somewhere. But we had more in common than that, right? Had the faith of Christ, and God had already done some things in Jose's life to prepare him to minister to Spanish speaking people. And God just, it, we didn't go right away, I didn't lay hands suddenly on him. We took some time to get to know one another. They became members of the church. He was started his own. He was already doing a little Bible study. I got to know the Bible study. They got to know us. We prayed and fasted. And after a while, we launched in 2013 the officially a Spanish ministry as an arm of our church. Started having afternoon services. Still had the mid their midweek home Bible studies. And I felt like God was coordinating all that. But it was because there was a concern. I mean, my as from the standpoint of the pastor, I had that concern for a long time. And I felt like God brought in something to confirm, hey, let's do something about this. God does that. He, does, he did that with Moses through a mutual concern. God, Moses, you're going to go from here to here, and I'm concerned about this too. And I know you already were. Maybe it died down. You can see in the rest of this, these chapters, he's a little bit like totally no self-confidence. And God has to help him through that. But the last point is he's called, here's the last point. How does God lead us from one stage to another? It's a lot of times this way. But the, other, the last thing I see with Moses is that he's called into a mentoring scenario. Mentoring. God is going to say, hey, come over here and do this, Moses. I'm going to be right with you. That's what he says. Look what it says there. So God says, God, in the verses 7 to 9, described the problem. Moses knew it. And then in verse 10, God says, come now. In other words, God says, hey, I see this. I see this problem. I see this problem. I see this problem. So come on over here. Let's take care of this. That's what he says. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God says, let's partner up in this thing. Did you see that? Do you think, poor God, can't do it by himself. He could do everything by himself. He already did everything. Look, he made everything in six days. But God's just about this partnership thing. He's like, boy, I see my people. They're just slaves. and they're, Now they're crying to me. And those Egyptians are bad news. Unfair. That's, hey, come on, let's do this. You see how God works? Partnership. We're laborers together with God. Aren't you glad for that? God says, let's do this. I'll be with you. And then look what it says in verse, verse 11. Moses begins, I think, one of about four or five excuses, and that's a whole other message. 
Moses, ah, who am I? Verse 11. Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? I'm just nobody. And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Do you see? This is interesting. This guy is totally, has no self-confidence. Who am I to go back there and bring your people out? And we could go on, but we're going to focus. This last moment is this, verse 12. God says, certainly, verse 12, I will be with thee. And there'll be a sign of that when you're going to, come, you're going to end up coming right back to the same spot with all of them. I'm going to be with you. God, this is what I like in this whole thing. Some of you, I don't know if, you've, if you're even familiar enough with this passage. Again, what happened? Moses was in Egypt for 40 years, has this crisis. He's by himself in the desert except the small family, which is a good thing. And then God comes and approaches him. And God says, hey, let's go, let's go back and deliver them, deliver my people. They're in slavery. Let's, let's deliver them out. Now watch this. And Moses is like, man, I, don't, I can't do that. I'm a nobody. Then he goes on and has another excuse, another excuse. I can't do that. And so what does God do? God talks him through all of his hangups. If you were to go through the rest of this, God says, well, you can't speak. Well, I'll be with your tongue. You, well, you can't this. You, can't, you, you don't have any tools. What's in your hand? Is that a rod? Okay, just throw your rod down. We'll use that. And God talks him through his issues. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. God talks us through our issues. That's who the, we should want to have talked to us. But God is mentoring us. God is with you always, child of God. Are we not to believe Matthew 28, 20 when Jesus said, I am with you always? Should we not believe that? How is He with us always? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Life Coach is sent to guide you. John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever. So when you think about life stage stuff, this, is, this helps. This helps right here. Moses, he was a busy guy. It's okay to stay busy in a good way. Moses was in the middle of his life. Don't rule out the middle of your, to late of your life. And Moses was used, mainly, God mainly used his word and those same concerns, and he mentored him through that. That's exactly what we need. He's got a program for each of us, and we should say to God, God, in like manner, coach me through my current stage and into the next. And of course, the most important stage is not the stages that happened in this life, but the next stage of life, which is eternal life or eternal death. And we need Him for that. Jesus Christ is the answer to the eternal stage. And we trust in Him as our Savior. Of course, He gives us eternal life and we're etern we'll eternally be with Him, forgiven and His child in the eternal bliss stage of life.